Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Faith Lead Book Hub. My name is Leanne Pomrenke on the Faith Lead team, and we are joined today by authors Drew Tucker, Susan Maros, and Tim K. Snyder to help us think about meaningful work and faithful understandings of vocation. Uh, Tim K. Snyder is the Associate Dean of Digital Learning and Assistant Professor of Contemporary Spirituality at the General Theological Seminary of the Episcopal Church. Tim's book, Live Vocation, Stories of Faith at Work, tells stories about the difficulties and opportunities of integrating faith into our work lives. Timothy, welcome. Thank you, Leanne, and thank you, Drew and Susan, for your, your wonderful presentations as a part of the panel. I'm honored to be uh, on this panel with you and in this conversation with you. All right, so um, a little over... Uh, a little while ago, I spent about a year, about a year and a half actually, um, listening to stories from adults who were at least age 55, between ages 55 and 75, although in the end, most of the folks I was hanging out with tended to be in their 60s. And um, I, I spent a year with them uh, doing interviews and inviting them to record audio diaries and things like that, take photos, this kind of thing, because I was interested in their, their world of work. I was interested in um, what they did for a living, and I was interested in how they saw the relationship between their Christian faith. All the folks I was hanging out with uh, happened to be Christians. They were recruited from uh, Lutheran congregations, but I was interested in better understanding how they were connecting the dots between their world of work and their world of faith. Uh, and so in the end, uh, I, I ended up writing this book, which I didn't expect to write, this book called Live Vocation. Um, and the book is, uh, it's a collection of stories, really, uh, short essays, five to seven pages a piece. And at the heart of each one of these little essays is a single story that was told to me in uh, this series of interviews that I, I conducted over about a year and a half period. And I have to say, before I got involved in this project, uh, I thought about my, my own work as a theologian in a particular way. I, I would say that I thought about it as a certain kind of translation work, where it was my job, actually, to apprentice myself to the Christian tradition, a Lutheran tradition in my case, and then be something like a, a translator for those who were trying to figure out what faith meant in everyday life. And I also have to share with you that this project changed me. It changed how I think about my own work because I, uh, it's a little bit awkward, I would say, as a theologian to um, this realization, but I, I really thought I was coming into these interviews, to these new relationships that, uh, that were a part of my research I was thinking that I had what they needed. I had the theological resources they needed. And actually what I, I learned instead is that I need to rethink the way that I do theology altogether. And so I say that at the beginning of the book, and I want to say that at the beginning of this 
this brief um, this brief conversation. Um, so the big idea in the book is this. The big idea is that since uh, the 20th century, at least, probably a little before, but since that time, theologians and religious leaders, um, we have been thinking about vocation, this idea of having a calling, that God is calling you to some particular kind of work, that we have been, uh, as we've been doing so, that we have uh, really, I think, We've been saying that all workers should see their work as a calling. And uh, that's a little bit unusual, at least for Lutheran theologians, because Martin Luther at the time of the Reformation, uh, a time where he significantly improvised with the sort of reigning theology of vocation of his day. That's a story for a different day, I think. But, you know, when Luther was thinking about vocation, he would often say that uh, all of our, our, all the particularities of our lives, as Susan might say there, right, uh, they have the potential to be a vocation. I think that's interesting because when I listen to theologians and religious leaders, pastors, those kinds of folks today, it really sounds to me that we've turned our theology of vocation into something more like a vocational script, into a prescription for meaning making. And so um, I, I think that's problematic for many of the same reasons that uh, Susan was talking about in the previous segment, that uh, at some point we all encounter life, the one that we actually live. And so this is kind of a challenge for any sort of prescription. Um, and so instead, what I, I am trying to do in the book is present a series of stories, stories that emerged from actual lives lived, and then do some theological reflection uh, in the midst of it. So um, before we get into some of those stories, though, I want to share with you one of the things that I think the book uh, offers particularly for those of you who may be pastors or congregational leaders at a local church, the, the book uh, is a certain kind of window into uh, the world of work today. Um, let me show you some of those windows, in fact. This is a, a one window into the world of work. Uh, this happens to be my workstation, or at least the workstation that I sat at to write the book. You can see I have my coffee mug and my webcam, a couple of monitors, that kind of thing. This is what it looks like for me when I go to work. But I think one of the things that uh, I realized pretty quickly, I'm sure I knew this in some sense before the project, but uh, work can look pretty different. And that's because, especially since the time of the Reformation, work has changed significantly. In it. And of course, as you know, it is changing. Here's another window into the world of work. This is from one of my participants in the study, a pharmacist, as you might, you might have guessed. This is what it looks like when she goes to work in her lab coat. Here's another one, this time from a woodworker, somebody whose daily work looks quite different than the kind of work that I do in an office with emails and um, you know, web conferencing and teaching classes and reading books. He's mostly working with his hands, uh, smoothing out and sanding wood, making caskets most of the time. This is what his world of work looks like. 
Yeah, here's another one. Uh, this is a, a tractor that was handed down to one of the farmers that I, I hung out with. And it was given to him by his father and it was given to his father by his father and his grandfather by his father. So passed down from generation to generation to generation. So when I stepped back from all of these stories, one of the things that I was interested in, this question of meaning that came up, uh, the kind of theme that connects all of our, our books today. And I was asking though a pretty particular question about those stories. And here's, here's the question that I was thinking about. I really wanted to know how do ordinary Christians find meaning in their working lives? And I have to say, I have to preface this by saying, I was headed into this work, into these stories, fairly convinced that um, some people would indeed think about their work as a vocation. And I was also pretty sure that other people wouldn't. And so vocation wasn't the only meaningful way I was listening for, for people who were making meaning. I wanted to know about big meanings and small meanings and everything in between. But mostly what I wanted to know is how do they do it? How do they actually come to the place uh, where they find meaning? Or you could put it a different way. Sometimes I like to say what uh, that the, the sort of real meaning of our everyday lives is really found in the stories that we tell. So we might put it this way. We might say that I might ask the question, what kind of stories do people tell themselves uh, and tell others about the meaning of their working lives? This is the kind of question that I was thinking about. Now, um, for the next little bit, I want to actually, it'll be, of course, me still presenting, but I want to really foreground the voices of those who I was listening to so that you can hear in their own words some of the ways that, some of the stories that folks were telling me. I think I'll do this in a way that will let you see some of the texture of these um, lives that are actually lived. This is from David, a farmer. I asked David uh, how it came to be that he is a farmer. And he said, well, I am a farmer. And I guess uh, I got into that line of work because I was born and raised a farmer. He didn't know about Drew's book, so he didn't do the four Ds. He was just born that way. <laughs> I asked him later on about, um, I asked him about uh, a, a time where he saw some relationship um, or some time where his faith showed up at, at work. And this is what he said. He said, almost every day, he says, that's what makes a farmer a unique or odd fellow. I mean, because it's the connection that you have with God, because you take the New Testament, Jesus talks a lot about growing something. And that's what we do when you can see it from that seed and you see it all the way through until it's in the bed again. That's quite something. Now, when you see all these things happening, what I deal with is seasonally. You plant that seed and you take care of that seed and you harvest that seed. It's no different than a year out of our lives. It's the same thing. I don't see a lot of difference. And I cannot, I cannot imagine what I do without God. I mean, it's a direct link. And I, I think this is a wonderful way to start the trajectory of the kind of stories that I was hearing, because sometimes it does indeed go this way. I mean, sometimes it does feel like we're practically born to do the work that we end up doing. Sometimes uh, people do have an extraordinary amount of clarity between 
uh, a clarity about the relationship between God's work in the world and their work in the world. And um, I have to say, sometimes I'm a little jealous. Sometimes I wish it was clear to me what the relationship between God's work and my work really was. But I also think this narrative, while I, I obviously see is a powerful one for David, I have some questions. Like, is it the case that God is really like some kind of a divine career planner dishing out farmers here and then you get this and I get that? Tim gets to be a theologian, Drew, a campus pastor. I'm just not sure about that because as I'm sure you're probably already thinking, you know, how come David gets uh, one of these vocations that's really clear and obvious how he's participating in God's work and other people don't get that? How come David gets that kind of clarity and other people don't? Yeah, I think that's probably not quite right, is it? Here's another one from Mary, uh, a hairstylist, actually. And what's interesting is that uh, Mary's story directly, I think, challenges this idea, doesn't it? Because uh, while it, it could be true that somebody views their work as a hairstylist, as a vocation, and I certainly wouldn't um, knock that, Mary, Mary doesn't. This is what she said. She said, you know, it was a decision based on, I think I was not being patient. I worried about money. It was one of those things that I could finish faster, took less time than a four-year degree. In the late 70s and 80s, it was hard to find a job. Minimum wage was $3 an hour, but I always regretted not sticking with college. Later on, Mary described a, a, a moment where she took some time off from work and she got back into work. She did so as her marriage was breaking down. And this is a little glimpse of her life from that time. She said, I needed to get back out there, even though it's not what I wanted to do. It's what I knew how to do. It helped my self-confidence, and it made me feel like I didn't have to stay in that marriage. I could choose to leave because I could financially support myself. And then that's when we had our second daughter, and everything changed again in Mary's life. And I think this is interesting because as I listen again to theologians and religious leaders, it often sounds as if we are suggesting that if you think about your job as an end to some means, then that's not quite theological enough. And I think that's interesting because Mary seems to be suggesting something else, or I, maybe she's not suggesting it so much. But it certainly is interesting that there's a certain kind of provision made for her. There's a certain kind of way in which her work is quite useful for getting out of a broken marriage, an abusive marriage, in fact, in her case. So maybe God really can be at work even when our jobs are just an ends to a means. Maybe that's, that's okay. Another one, this time from Valerie. And it was Valerie who really got me thinking differently about how I understood vocation. She said to me at one point of our, in our interview, she said, some teachers will tell you this is a calling, that this is my passion and this is my love. And she said, not for me anymore. And I'm a good teacher. I mean, I really believe that. I believe I am a good teacher, but this is not, I'm ready to leave it. I'm ready to find joy again in what I do. I mean, the teacher trainer part, if I had to go back into the classroom, I would never do it. I would, 
I wouldn't go back, which is really sad. There's a lot of teachers who feel like I do, especially teachers my age. They've seen a dynamic change in education and they just don't want anything to do with it anymore. Later on in the same conversations, she said, we're held out to be incompetent and that we don't know what we're doing, that somehow we just stand around all day and want kids to fail. And then on top of that, there's no home discipline left anymore. So children feel entitled and bold to act. They treat you in any way they want to. There's very little that you can do about it. She said, I got called a motherfucker one too many times. I think this is... Um, this was a, a confrontation to me. I don't think Valerie meant it as a confrontation to me, but it certainly was because this was really, Valerie's story was probably one of the first times I really had to wrestle with what I've come to now think about as the darker side of vocation. That if we continue to tell an uncritical version of this narrative about the relationship between God's work and ours, then it can have some pretty abusive side effects. I mean, I'm glad that Valerie got out, but I can pretty much guarantee you that there is somebody right now who is continuing in an abusive job because they think it's a calling, because they think it's their vocation. And the church particularly is responsible for this. It is our theology after, way, after all, but pastors and theologians, we tend to think about our own work as a vocation. And we also tend to think other people should think about it that way too. And I think we need to think about that. I think we need to think about that darker side of vocation. Speaking of the church, uh, Sally is a, a operations manager at a utility company, but she used to be her local, church, local Lutheran church's secretary. And uh, she's actually married to David, the farmer I introduced to you a few moments ago. And uh, Sally said this, you know, there was a time where the cash flow on the farm was getting a little difficult. And so she just thought, well, maybe I'll just see if I can help out the family, help uh, make up some of that difference. And so she says this about that moment. When I decided to look for different employment after the church, we were going through some financial issues out of the farm. The kids had graduated. The salary at the church wasn't much. No benefits, the whole nine yard. And I thought, I'm just going to go look and see what else is out there. And I went to the local employment center, filled out their application, and that's how I got an interview at the, national, at the natural gas company. And then she says, it's the best thing I ever did. It was a great place to work. Great benefits. My starting pay was double, and what I was make than what I was making at the church, and I was just ready to grow myself personally. And they had nothing but all sorts of opportunities for me. I think it's interesting that Sally actually had to leave her job at the church. Something that we would think, uh, well, many of us, I should say, might quite easily be able to narrate as a vocation. Uh, curiously, Sally, in our conversations, did not describe her work as a secretary at a Lutheran church as the vocation. Uh, I asked her point blank. She said no. Uh, and uh, But she later came to see a certain, well, it wasn't her words, but much of what we might say is the content of, uh, of, of having a vocation. She did find at the utility company. And I think this is interesting. It made me wonder in particular about Sally's story, why the church itself 
creates so many dead end jobs, so many jobs with very little opportunities to grow oneself. Um, and that's another sort of darker side of vocation. But I love Sally's story. I love how she had to leave the church, leave the church's employment anyway, in order to find a, a sense of calling. I want to share just one more slide with you. And this is a, a sample of the things that people said when I asked them what really matters in the end. I would always ask this question at the end of the interviews. I would say, you know, you've been talking to me a lot about how you got into your work and about your life of faith. And I would say something like, I'm just curious, how do you want to be remembered um, at the end? And what I was amazed at, this is just a small sampling, obviously, of what they shared. But what all of these responses, those on the screen and the, those I, I couldn't include because of space, what I think they all share is this kind of modesty to them, this kind of um, simplicity. Uh, that I think is, is really beautiful. And I don't think that we talk quite enough about what really matters in the end. We don't invite what matters in the end into our, our vocational reflection as much as perhaps we could. So I found these, uh, these, these uh, statements about what matters in the end to be very, very moving vocational reflections, even though sometimes they didn't really have very much to do with being Christian. They, had in many ways more to do with just being human and just being a good human. Let me pause there. Uh, here's just a, a final slide of all the, the various kinds of workers that show up in the book itself. I was only able to, to talk about a few of them today in this presentation, but here you can see a range of the kinds of workers that show up in the book. 